Good morning, church. How are we today? Hey, it's great to see you. My name is Jeff Hughes. I serve as the Connections Pastor here, and we're so glad you're with us. A couple of announcements that you just heard about regarding the Vision Night. There is a flyer that's in your seats, so you can grab that. You can register on that QR code again and make sure we are prepared for you uh, for that. Also, the Back to Church, Back to School picnic is next Sunday. After the 1130 service, it's a great time. We'll have baptisms. We'll have a great a meal and fellowship with one another. So please plan to be at that gathering next Sunday, the churchwide picnic uh, after the 1130 service. Well, for the last month, we have been in a series called Real Relationships. Uh, Pastor Christopher Glotzbach kicked us off the first couple of weeks and Pastor Glenn Greiner took a couple of weeks. And today, my goal is to put a bow on this series, to wrap it up, to, to fuse everything all together and, and just uh, uh, help us to encapsulate what we've learned and to uh, see what difference that makes in our lives. Uh, this relationship series has been about uh, the qualities of relationships that God wants us to have. And what we should do, our responsibility as people who want to surround our relationships uh, around the purpose of Jesus and what that looks like. In week one, we looked at real relationships are Christ-centered. In week two, we looked at real relationships are mission-driven. Week three was real relationships forgive freely. And then last week, real relationships fight for each other. And let me tell you, these last four weeks have been phenomenal. If you were traveling or sick or away for any reason, strongly encourage you to go online and listen to uh, this series that these guys have put together. It's going to be a, a powerful thing for us. Well, I want to ask you to make your way to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 together, where today we'll conclude this series with the phrase, real relationships have the mindset of Jesus. Real relationships have the mindset of Jesus. As you make your way to Philippians chapter 2, I'd like to invite you to stand to honor the authority of God's word as it speaks into our life. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11 together. And these words will be on the screen for us as well. Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I want us to back up and look at verse five again, as this is the, the crux of this message today. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Now, this might feel like an odd transition to go straight from, from this scripture text in Philippians to this, but this is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is one of the most prominent 
musical artist in our current generation. She started writing songs. You may not know this, but she was only 11 years old when she wrote her first song. She started recording these songs and others at age 16. And around the age of 20, she was already an established pop icon in our world. Millions of fans worldwide. She exerts tremendous cultural influence in American society. And if you don't believe me, just ask any 13 to 18 year old girl in your home or otherwise. And I know some of you, I saw on your social media posts that when Taylor Swift was in the area recently, some of you were caught at the concert posting some pictures. Now, I'm not going to call you out right here at church. That would have been really cool. Put you right up there. But some of you in the house are Swifties, which is a Taylor Swift fan. Maybe you knew that. Maybe you didn't. But the main reason why Taylor Swift is so popular is that she speaks directly to this huge role of relationships and what they play in our lives. Now, a few years back, right around an album release, she did an interview on NPR and this was uh, with Melissa Block. And here's what Taylor Swift said. She said, in the past, I've written mostly about heartbreak or pain that was caused by someone else and felt by me, right? Heartbreak and pain caused by someone else felt by me. On this album, I'm writing about more complex relationships where the blame is split kind of 50-50. She says, I think there's actually a realism to my new approach to relationships, which is a little more fatalistic than anything I used to think about them. She goes on to say, I used to think that, you know, you find the one and it's happily ever after and you never struggle after that. But you have a few experiences with love and relationships, and you learn that that's not always the case at all. Now, friends, regardless of what you think about Taylor Swift, if you are a Swifty or not, I don't care. Listen to this concluding statement that she made in the interview. Listen close to this. She said, relationships are complicated. Even if you find the right situation, it's always going to be a daily struggle to make it work. Now, listen to that. Some of us need to hear that again, because this is, this is a, a beautiful collection of words that make up a concept that we need to grab a hold of. She said, relationships are complicated, and even if you find the right situation, it's always going to be a daily struggle to make it work. Now, just as she did in this interview, Taylor Swift's music gives voice to two key aspects in our lives. Relationships are incredibly important and they're very, very complicated. I mean, think about that. I think you would probably agree with me on that. You know, it doesn't matter whether if you're single or married, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, the color of your skin, if you have been to Union Chapel for years or if today's your very first time with us. It doesn't matter if you're 15, 42 or 75. I think we'd all realize that relationships are important and they're very, very complicated to navigate. And as it always does, scripture explains to us why this is true. And I'd love for us to just lean into this a little bit because right out of the gate in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, one of the very first things the author of these texts does for us is tells us that relationships are so important because we're made in the image of God. And God is both personal and relational. So us being made in the image of God and relationships being both personal and relational, we can realize that there's something unique about that. Now, the God of the universe has revealed himself in scripture 
and he is a triune God. Now that word triune, T-R-I-U-N-E, we don't talk about that a whole lot. So let me just unpack that a little bit. It means he's one being who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three persons of the Godhead, they always work together in perfect harmony with one another, relational intimacy. And it's because we're all made in his likeness. We are all personal and relational creatures as well. Every single one of us. Now, this room is made up of some folks who are more introverted, some who are more extroverted, and we have all kinds of personality types, uh, issues and challenges that weave into the dynamics of our relationships. But the problem is that our relationships with each other are complicated, they are imperfect, and often they're painful. They're painful. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to to show your hands here this morning, but if complicated and, and challenging and painful, imperfect relationships is a part of your life, then listen in, lean in because I believe God has something for you through the rest of this message. And we're told the reason why in Genesis chapter three, but I want us to back up because in Genesis one and two, Adam and Eve were these beautiful creatures. They're made in God's image. They live in the paradise of Eden and they have this perfect fellowship and relationship with both God and intimacy with one another. But the problem is they gave in. They gave in to the serpent's temptation to become like God and they they fell from their state of grace. They fell from their state of grace and they were kicked out of paradise. You know, one of the main consequences of their sinful disobedience was from then on, every human relationship became broken. It became tangled. It became confused. And I'll go as far to even say painful and damaged. You feel that, right? I know I do. I mean, we see it, we feel it in our relationships one another. You should know that it tracks all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It tracks all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we can see exactly what happened there. To make that point, the author of Genesis shows us the relational damage that sin causes by describing the behavior of the descendants of Adam and Eve. Now, each of the people I'm about to mention are descendants of Adam and Eve. They're they're direct in that immediate lineage. So listen close to some of their stories. Cain and Abel are their children, and Cain goes on to murder his brother, Abel. Not a great start, is it? Lamech introduces polygamy to the world. Not a good thing. Lot's daughters get him drunk and then commit incest. Abraham plays huge favorites between his sons Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, each play favorites with their sons, Jacob and Esau. Maybe some of these names sound familiar. Jacob has to to flee because of that and eventually winds up with two wives and, and two concubines, all of whom are constantly competing for his attention every day and affection. And he has a bunch of kids between all of them. Jacob favors one of these sons, Joseph, over the rest, and they conspire to kill him but instead they sell him to slavery instead. Friends, Genesis has the makings of a Jerry Springer talk show. That's where we started. And it all began with Adam and Eve. The writer of Genesis wants us to know that all of humanity, including you and me, have this 
poisoned blood of Adam and Eve that flows through our veins and negatively affects our relationships. So you say, great, well, what's the cure? What's the cure to positive relationships that would honor God, that would break this cycle of what we see when we look all the way back to Genesis in our lives? We see from our text today in Philippians chapter two, verse five. By the way, you could not find a better verse in the entire Bible that describes the types of relationships that God wants us to have. And here it is. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And today what I wanna do is I wanna look at four very, very common barriers that will often stand in the way of us having the mindset of Jesus. Chances are one of these, or maybe all four, are gonna resonate with you. The challenge I have for you is when you hear the one or all four that resonate with you, you ask yourself, what am I gonna do about it? What am I gonna do with what I hear today? You see, this morning, while I'm very glad that you're here, there's a lot of places that you could be this morning. And I believe that God wants to speak to you this morning, but if he only speaks to you and it goes, as my father would say, growing up in one ear and out the other, we've missed the true point of being in the room together. And maybe perhaps you need to gather in a circle or with friends over coffee, like I'll do this Tuesday morning with my men's small group, to circle up and talk about this and maybe some of the other things that God is doing in your world right now. So let's dive in and look at four barriers to having the mindset of Christ. The first is selfishness, selfishness. We're just diving right in with an easy one, right? We're just gonna start really easy with, yeah, right. Self-centered and selfish desires come so natural for us, don't they? I mean, it's what I want, it's when I want it, it's how I want it. If you don't believe me, walk over to the two-year-old classroom on a Sunday morning sometime and you will see, you will experience firsthand Words like, I want what I want, when I want it, right now. You'll also hear the, the first four-letter word that we learn in human history. And I'm not talking about something that might slip from a volunteer's mouth changing a stinky diaper. No, no. It's the word mine. M-I-N-E, mine. It's human nature to be selfish. Some of us in this room are familiar with a program called MOPS. It stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. And the president of MOPS, which is a, a program that we hosted, it's a citywide gathering, and we hosted it here for many, many years here at Union Chapel. And the president of MOPS gives insight into a child's worldview with something called the toddler creed. Now, for some of you, you'll laugh at this as your reaction. And for some of you, this will be way too close to home and it'll just create the nervous, uncomfortable inside feeling like, oh man, but they are gonna grow up. They are gonna get out of this. And then they become teenagers, but we'll talk about that later. Here's the toddler's creed. If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you and I change my mind later, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it will never belong to anybody else, no matter what. If we are building something together, all the pieces are what? They are mine. If it looks just like mine, it is what? It is mine. The toddler's creed. The problem is some of us 
are still living out the toddler's creed through our selfishness today. And we need to die to selfishness. We need to lay it down. We need to realize that Jesus was selfless, giving, caring, focused on others. And so many times we are focused on the only thing that we see in the mirror staring back at us. We need to crucify and die to our selfishness because I know some of you see some of that in your worlds with people you know, or perhaps even yourself. Dennis and Barbara Rainey in their book, Staying Close, suggest that there are several stages in a marriage. We've got some newlyweds in the room. We've got some folks that have been married for a while. We've got some seasoned folks in the room with their relationship. But, but these folks are experts and they wrote the book, Staying Close. Their first year, they describe the stage as this. Baby, darling, I'm worried about that sniffle. So I've called the paramedics to rush you to the hospital for a checkup and a week of rest. And I know you don't like hospital food, so I have gourmet meals being brought in to you, all right? That's the first year. The second year is this, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Knotts to make a house call. Let me tuck you in bed. That's year two. Year three, it moves on to this. You look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to Walgreens and get some medicine? I'll, I'll watch the kids. You know, very caring, very loving, supportive. The fourth year is this, look, be sensible. After you've, after you've bathed the kids, done the dishes, you really ought to go to bed and get some rest. You move on to year five, it's this, for Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud I can't hear the TV? Would you mind going to the other room? You sound like a barking dog. How easy is it for selfishness to creep in to our most valuable relationships? How easy is it Sir, think about that. Are you being selfish in a relationship that, that you stood at an altar and you pledged I do forever? Ma'am, think about that. Are you being selfish? Consider this. This might be the only place that you hear these words, but I hope you'll take them to heart because Jesus laid down his life in a selfless act for us and we are called to the same exact thing. We've got to die to our selfishness Selfish attitudes are torpedoes that attack relationships and most self-centered act, uh, relationships and attitudes can serve like a boomerang. The only problem with the boomerang is you know what it does. It goes out and it comes right back, hits you square between the eyes. We've got to lay down our selfishness. And the answer to that is having the attitude of Jesus. We see in Galatians 6, 7, the person who plants selfishness Ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, will harvest a crop of weeds. And he'll have to show for it is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work in him, harvests a crop of real life, of eternal life. Now, I want you just for a moment to just, just think about your life. Think about your last week, this last season, the last few months. Think about your relationships, particularly with those in your home. And just do some self-evaluation if selfishness is evident in you. And if God has pointed out that it is, ask him to show you what to do about it. God, what do you want me to do about selfishness? Because I would venture that some of us in this room are examining our relationships and all we see growing are weeds Selfish thoughts, overgrown, neglected, not full of life. Philippians chapter two, verse four from the New Living Translation says, don't think only about your own affairs, 
but be interested in others too and what they're doing. The more we're focused on encouraging and helping others, the less we think about ourselves. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 6, this from the message translation, listen to these words, live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsion of selfishness. Our natural tendency is to look out for number one. And I believe all across this room, God is speaking to many of us today to die to our selfishness, to have the mind of Jesus Christ in our lives. Well, here's the second barrier to having the mindset of Jesus Christ, and it's pride. Pride. Pride often leads to a critical, judgmental attitude and spirit, which damages our relationships even further. We see from Proverbs 16, 18, the consequences of pride. This from the New Century Version of the Bible. Pride will destroy a person. Pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. That is no way to live. No way to live. Going through life with a prideful, haughty, boastful spirit. The message paraphrase of Proverbs 16, 18 says this. First pride, then a crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Friends, if you identify pride in your life right now, an ego that is just unchecked and uncontrollable, I want you to listen and apply these words. First pride, then a crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. You have an opportunity before the crash to identify pride and do something about it. Because God will never take someone who says, Lord, I'm prideful and I ask that you would help me. God will never take an honest confession of that and go, well, you're on your own there. And if you don't want to see the continued development of this verse, first pride, then a crash, The bigger the ego, the harder the fall, do business with God and become humble. Do business with God and let him make your attitude, your mindset become that of Jesus Christ. Pretty clear, isn't it? We have critical attitudes that emerge when we can't stand anyone getting ahead of us. And and that's evident just driving down McGalliard, especially on a Sunday after church or racing towards the church parking lot to see who can get out of here first, right? Critical, our attitudes. We've got to lay down our pride. What we see from Jesus is that he modeled servant leadership. He led with humility. He had an attitude of humility, which built up relationships and drew people to him. Perhaps if you're struggling in your relationships, maybe with your spouse, maybe a coworker, maybe a friend, maybe it has to do with pride. And as you examine that, as you deal with that, as God leads you, there may be a conversation that you need to have. Philippians 2, 3 and 5 and 6 says, be humble, give more honor to others than yourself. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. So though he's God, he did not cling to his rights. He did not demand that he be treated in a special, significant way, even though he deserved it, right? When you possess an attitude of humility, you're not ashamed to admit when you're wrong. You're not ashamed to say, I'm sorry. 
I want to tell you a story of a professor uh, named Stuart Blackie. He was a professor at the University of Edinburgh, and one day he had to make a very humble apology. He was listening to his students as they pre- uh, presented readings one day, and when a young man stood to read, he held his book in the wrong hand, apparently important to the professor. The professor thundered back at this student, take your book in your right hand and be seated. At this harsh rebuke, the student held up his right arm and he didn't have a right hand. The other students shifted uneasily in their chairs. And for a moment, the professor hesitated. Then he stepped down off the platform and walked over to that student. He put his arm around that student and with tears streaming down the professor's face, he said to him, I, I, I never knew about it. I, I never knew. I'm so, so sorry. Will you forgive me? You see, his humble apology made a lasting impact on that man. This story was told years later in a large gathering of believers. And at the close of the meeting, this man came forward. He turned to the crowd and he, and he raised his right arm, which ended at the wrist. And he said, friends, I was that student. And Professor Blackie led me to Jesus Christ because of his humility in and after that moment. Powerful, isn't it? What opportunities are you missing because of pride? What roadblocks are in your path to the goal that you want for your life because of pride? And what might God wanna do today before you leave this room to restore your relationships because of pride? Do you wanna conquer pride in a critical spirit? Spend time with Jesus. Ask him to give you the mindset of Jesus Christ. Jesus will change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. He'll do it, a humble person. Well, so far, friends, we've kind of just walked in the shallow end a little bit. We've covered uh, two very lightweight topics this morning in uh, looking at selfishness and pride so far. I don't know if you were looking for something that might challenge you. Uh, Maybe we'll get there in just a moment. But while we're on a roll, we're resisting selfishness and we're exchanging pride for humility. The third barrier to having the mindset of Jesus is insecurity. Insecurity, if you're taking notes on the app or uh, on your phone, Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of human opinion disables. It disables. Have you ever found yourself disabled, not sure what to do in a relationship? You, you, just, you can't make a decision. You're not sure. You're overwhelmed with insecurity and, and unsure about the moment. The fear of human opinion will stop you dead in your tracks and it'll destroy your relationships. Fear of rejection is a deep, deep fear. It is deep. And it'll destroy relationships and often it'll, it'll help us or cause us rather to build a wall brick by brick that keeps us from engaging in important and significant relationships in our lives. But what you need to know today is Jesus understands. Jesus knows rejection. He knows how you feel. And in Christ, you have a positive, 
self-awareness, a positive self-acceptance. And friends, this is not, this is not some uh, psychobabble mumbo jumbo uh, talk that I'm trying to sell you for a million dollars to try to get in your head and get things right. It's getting our lives in line with what Jesus says. And you need to know what Jesus says about you because it is good news. It is good news. But so often what we do, we look at ourselves in a mirror or otherwise, and we say, I'm no good. I won't measure up. I can't do this. I've always struggled. I'm never going to make the team. I won't be number one. It's not going to work out. And on and on and on. We replace God's truth with the devil's lies about who we think we are. Listen, you were not created to be someone else. You were created to be you. Let that settle to the core, to the bone and marrow of who you are as a person. Let me give you a summary of what we see in Isaiah 43, chapter 4, and also Jeremiah 31, 3, and then also Isaiah 49, 16. Here's a summary of what God says about you and to you. Listen close. This is God's word to you. You are precious. You are precious. You are honored in my sight, and I love you. Not only that, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have engraved your name on the palm of my hands. Now, that means something when Jesus is talking, doesn't it? I have engraved your name on the palm of my hands. 1 John 4.18 says, love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Are you going through life fearful today? Maybe a bit insecure? Receive the genuine, perfect love from Jesus and know what he says to you and about you and receive it. Stop buying into the lies of the devil and listen to what God says about you because God made you, he knows you, he loves you and these thoughts will shape your life. They'll shape your mind, they'll shape your attitudes, they'll shape the beliefs you have about the world, how you go through the world and they will shape the relationships that you have with other people. Relationships not exactly as you want with your kids, with your spouse, with a coworker, Allow God to speak into you about who you are and put that into practice. Can I invite you today to lay down your insecurity by walking in the truth of what God says about you? You don't need to receive something from someone else. What you need to receive is from Jesus. It's from God, your creator. And he says, you are enough. You are enough. You are precious. You were created in his image, to be an image bearer to the world. And that begins with us having a right mindset about what God has says about us. And when you find your worth in Jesus, nothing can shake you. Nothing can change that. The value of an item is found in what someone is willing to pay for. Would you agree with me on that? The value of an item is found on what someone is willing to pay for it. A house, a, a boat, a car, real estate. The value of an item is found in what someone is willing to pay for it. And in our world, in the last few years, there's even been moments where a house particularly was listed at one price and offers came in and it met that 
asking price. And then someone else says, oh no, oh no, we're gonna give this much more. And then somebody else says, oh no, we're gonna give this much more. And so you've got the asking price and you've got this, you're higher, you got another offer, another. Now I've never owned a home like that. Maybe you have, I've never been privileged to have that opportunity. But this moment illustrates clearly that the value of something is based on what somebody is willing to pay for it. After church, some of you are gonna go to a restaurant here in our city. And I hope you'll be polite. I hope you'll tip well. I hope you'll take care of people. Okay, just a side note. Um, That is an important thing to do. But when you are deciding where you're gonna go, you probably think through the value of what you're gonna receive. Do we want a quick drive through cheeseburger? Do we want to sit down somewhere where we'll have someone come to our table? What do we want and what will, what will the value of that be? You will be willing to pay for what you have decided the value of that meal already is. And maybe it is a value meal. I don't know. But the value of something is found in what someone is willing to give for it. So physically in our world, we would not argue with that concept a car, a boat, a house, a cheeseburger, a meal somewhere else. But spiritually, we push back like nobody's business on that. And we go, no, my, my value is not what someone is willing to pay for my life. And by the way, Jesus Christ, God's perfect, holy, worthy, sinless son of God gave his life to the full for you to live. Every drop of blood was spilled from his veins for you and me and all of humanity. And so when we think about that, there has been a ransom that has been paid for our life that is extravagant. But what we do is we grab a hold of this mindset when it comes to anything else, but then when it comes to our spiritual significance to God and in our, in our place in a relationship with Jesus, we go, oh no. That whole value is contingent upon what someone is willing to pay. We push back on that. No, no. Your relationships and your very life will change the moment you realize the significance that God is for you, that he is with you, and that he loves you. Anybody with me on that? You are. Don't buy the lie. When you grasp this to the core of who you are as a person, it will change your relationships. It will change. It'll change the way you treat others. It'll change the way you see yourself. And it matters. Because in Jesus, we know who we are. In Jesus, we know who we belong to. Precious, holy, worthy, child of God. Those are the things that we're reminded of. Not only that, it'll shape every other relationship in your life. Now, let me recap. If we're going to have the mindset of Jesus, we have to resist selfishness. We have to exchange pride for humility. We have to receive authentic love in place of security, of insecurity, which can only be found by truly understanding God's love for us. Now, let me hit the fourth and last point. Here's the fourth barrier to having the mindset of Jesus. And maybe you wrestle with this. It's resentment. Resentment. Job chapter 5, verse 2 from today's English version says this, to worry yourself to death with resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. You cannot afford to allow resentment to eat away at your soul like a cancer. Can we just let that settle for a minute? 
Because for some of us, resentment eats away at our soul. We're angry. We have this resent towards others when we need to forgive. There are people in our lives who are like sandpaper. They just, they just rub us wrong all the time. The words, the actions, just like sandpaper. Take a piece of sandpaper, just rub it on your arm. And, and that, that describes the relationship that you have with this person. They do all they can to make your life miserable, it seems. So what do you do? Do you just sweep this irritation under the rug and just go, oh, no big deal? No, you engage with that person in a loving, caring way. You see, to do nothing quickly turns their problems and escalates it into a situation that can cause you to be resentful. And when you become resentful, you stop thinking clearly, rationally. Logic goes out the door and we, we just fly off the handle and respond to someone because they've rubbed us with sandpaper words. We want to rub them back with a, a grinder this time on them because they got us, so we're going to get them even bigger. Resentment. The key to resentment is forgiveness. We shouldn't push back. We shouldn't be people who have resentment in our life. We should realize the antidote is forgiveness. To stop to slow down, to build and maintain a healthy relationship by bringing forgiveness and by admitting what we've brought to the relationship and what we need to say I'm sorry for and the change that we need to make. Colossians chapter three, verse 13 says, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your burdens and cares to the Lord because I care for you. I realize some of us in this room today, we have resentment because someone has hurt us. A relationship has wounded us and it left a deep hurt to the core of who we are. I wanna invite you to forgive that person, to let go and to know that you can come to your savior that you can come to Jesus who says, give me all your burdens, not just some of them, not just the nice neat ones that can have a little bow on them and look real pretty. Give me all your burdens, all your worry, all your cares, cast them upon me for I care for you. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 reminds us to forget what happened before and not think about the past. We're reminded that God is going to do something new, that he will make rivers in a dry land. You know, today's message, I'll just be honest with you, is not a warm and fuzzy message. This is not sunshine and butterflies. It's not all happy encouragement, but I believe it's very, very practical. Here's the thing. Some of us in this room are struggling in our relationships. We're struggling in our relationships with our spouse. We're struggling with our neighbor. We're struggling with a coworker. We're struggling with a friendship that once was close, but now has quite a bit of distance. And I believe those relationships are struggling because of these four things in our life that are evident that God does not want them to be evident. And so we have to decide what we're going to do with these things. If we're gonna resist selfishness, 
if we're going to exchange pride for humility, if we're going to receive authentic love in place of our insecurity, and if we're going to overcome resentment with forgiveness. Now, I want you to think about that list for a moment while I ask you a couple closing questions. Our worship team can go ahead and make their way up. What action do you need to take today as a result of hearing this message? You see, I believe that God has been speaking to many of us across this room and those listening online. And I think there's an action that needs to take place because you've been here. What conversation needs to happen? Maybe with a close friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a loved one, maybe a sibling, maybe it's someone at work. What conversation needs to take place because of hearing this today? And what change needs to occur? Friends, the amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't say, go out and live this way and do this. And by the way, see you later, I'm out. He's here for us. And so maybe that means that you need clarity from him, which can only come from honest moments of confession and prayer. During this closing song, the altar area is open. Maybe you wanna come and kneel down and pray for that specific relationship or for that area of these four that God is nudging you. Maybe you're not sure the exact direction. I encourage you to talk with trusted friends about the next steps because of this series and because of this message today. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, you've heard these words today, and I trust that you've also been speaking directly to all of our hearts today through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'll just be honest, my desire is to honor you in every relationship. And I know many all across this room feel the exact same way. We want to honor you in our relationships. We know that that means we need to become more like you. We know that means we need to have the mind of Jesus in our relationships. Chances are very high that one of these four things has stuck out to every single person in this room. Will you give us the courage to do the work necessary to take the next step? Help us to move forward, to springboard from what we've heard into a life that would honor you more fully. Lead us and help us love others the way you love us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.